You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the fabulous Feinstein's 54 Below. Before we get started this evening, just a polite reminder. Please take this moment to silence your cell phones. Also, there is no flash photography, please. Thank you, and enjoy the show. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. And Happy New Year from all of us at Broadway's Living Room. I'm Dylan McDowell. I'm Adrian Carnani. And we are the marketing associates here at Feinstein's 54 Below. Dylan and I are both so lucky to be able to work with some truly legendary members of the Broadway community, but one of the most exciting things we get to do here at 54 is highlighting new voices. That's right. And this January, our fabulous assistant programming director, Alexa Spiegel, is curating the latest iteration of our new Writers at 54 series. Throughout the month, we have five incredible rising talents putting on concerts here at Feinstein's 54 Below. These shows feature songs from upcoming projects, as well as favorites from shows that have been produced, all with the help of a slew of Broadway stars, of course. And Alexa has pulled together a really phenomenal group of writers this year. We have Helen Park, the award-winning composer-lyricist of the acclaimed and Broadway-bound K-pop. Also participating in the series are Jonathan Larson Grant recipient Mark Sonnenblick, as well as the creator and star of the Lortel award-winning Rags Parkland Sings the Songs of the Future, Andrew R. Butler. And of course, we have the two wonderful artists that we're sitting down with today. You might know our first guest is the award-winning composer and lyricist behind the autobiographical comedy Salam Medina, Tales of a Hafghan, which completed a workshop at Playwrights Horizons in November of 2019. Or as the genius behind such acclaimed musicals as One Good Day, The Tin, and Treasure in NYC, not to mention her compositions for the New York City Gay Men's Chorus, Broadway Inspirational Voices, and Wicked's 16th Anniversary Commemoration. She has also garnered praise for her music direction on A Strange Loop, Bella in American Tall Tale, and Who's Your Bag Daddy or How I Started the Iraq War. Our first guest today is Rona Siddiqui. But today, we are joined by not just one, but two of our new writers. Our second guest is a Mac Award winner and a recipient of the York Theatre Company's Neo Award. He is a writer, composer, performer, and is actually the youngest writer ever selected for the New York Musical Festival for his show, Balloon Boy, the Musical. His other original productions include Wally Weasel's GOP Jamboree, The Charlatans, Dimes, and currently running off-Broadway at the St. Luke's Theatre, a musical about Star Wars. His songs have been performed around the country, and he released his debut album, The Perks of Being a Snowflake, in 2018. He has also authored various plays delving into themes around social justice that have been performed at the Kennedy Center, Cherry Lane Theatre, Lincoln Center, and numerous other venues. Our second guest for today's episode of the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast is Billy Reese. We are so excited to be sitting down with Billy and Rona today, and as they are the first two writers we're having on the podcast, 
We're thrilled for all of you to get a glimpse into just how wide and diverse the range of programming we have here at 54 is. Let's get started. I'm Rona Siddiqui. And I'm Billy Reese, and you're listening to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast. Welcome to the Feinstein's 54 Below podcast, Rona Siddiqui and Billy Reese. We're so excited to have this first installment of sort of like a New Writers Roundtable is part of our New Writers at 54 series that is launching this month um, at Broadway's Living Room. Thank you both. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for having us. I just have a couple of questions just to kind of learn more about you and introduce you to our listeners. Great. Fabulous. Awesome. So we'll start with Rona and then we'll go to Billy. But I'm really curious if you could just tell us a little bit about your journey so far and what's led you to this point of having a concert of your original music. So I started playing piano when I was four. And so music has always, always, always been a part of my life. And I went to UCLA for piano performance and I got booted out of the program after my sophomore year. And it was like devastating because I defined myself as a pianist. And then I had some professors there say, you should, uh, you should try composition. And I was like, no, why would anyone care what I have to say? But I had to, I had to pick something. So that's what I did. Got that degree. And then I was like, okay, well, I'm not going to do that. And so I was just like music directing in California, regionally. And uh, finally, a friend was applying to NYU's graduate musical theater writing program and said I should do it with him. And I was like, sure, buddy, I'll, I'll do that with you. And uh, that's when everything changed. I realized oh, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I am a storyteller, and I can use all these skills that I have to tell stories in a unique way. And, uh, yeah, I've been here since uh, 2010, and I love every minute of what I do. That's fat. That's It's like a broken road that kind of led yeah. you ultimately here. Yep. Was there any anyone or a composer or songwriter in general who really inspired you while you were coming up? Well, it's funny because... Uh, the last show I was music directing in San Francisco was A New Brain by William Finn. And I was on stage every night and I would get so emotional with that show. And I didn't know that musical theater storytelling could be like that. And then I found out that he taught at NYU and I was just like, oh my God, I, I have to go there. So it was really, it was really Finn that kind of like was the push and the inspiration. That's amazing. Yeah. So Billy... Your yes. turn. So let's go back to the beginning. What was sort of your beginning of discovering that you wanted to be yeah. a musical theater writer? So I grew up on Long Island, um, and I was a, a child actor, which makes it sound like I booked things, which I did not. I booked nothing. Um, but I did a lot of um, children's theater, and, you know, my favorite day um, at the rehearsals was always the first day um, where we were given, you know, sort of the, the hardbound script. And uh, I just love being able to, like, flip through the physical manifestation of like what the show was going to be and I sort of knew like oh that's like that's what I want to do I want to like see my script on you know these pages and and um so I started writing at a very young age um I was taking piano lessons from the time I was like six or seven um which I was also terrible you're probably a fantastic piano player I am not (laughs) (laughs) um but uh but yeah so so I started just sort of writing my own songs and um 
and yeah, and I just had all these songs in my head and, and learned how to transcribe. Um, and uh, then I went to a public high school with a really great theater program um, with a really, oddly enough, heavy emphasis on writing. Mm. Um, and, and my drama teacher like changed my life and sent a show that I'd been working on at the time to all these sort of different festivals and everything that sort of got my foot in the door. And I sort of realized, oh, like maybe this is what I'm good at, you know? Um, but yeah, I, I had a lot of really great opportunities being close to the city and being in this great you know, a theater program growing up where like my creative voice was valued and, and listened to um, uh, sort of pushed me in, into this direction and I haven't looked back since. That's yeah. beautiful. So yeah. do, in that same way, do you have sort of like a, a role model or someone who you really looked to through your composing process? Yeah, I mean, growing up, Finn was one of my biggest heroes too. Um, a New Brain is probably uh, one of the cast albums I can yeah. like recite, you know, yeah, verbatim, totally. you know, it's so good. So good. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so, so Finn or, or like Randy Newman, I was a big mm-hmm. fan of. Oh. Sort of all these, you know, wry, sarcastic people um, sitting at the piano and sort of being able to say um, things about larger societal issues through comedy and sarcasm and, and satire and also being able to like break your heart uh, by the end of it too. Um, those are sort of the people I looked up to. Yeah. And it's honestly interesting that the two of you are here because I feel like both of you have such personality in your songs oh, that come through with, there could be a little bit of humor, but there's also these powerful messages behind it. So you can tell there's some Finn influences <laughs> there you for go. sure. There you go. Yeah. So do you, I know it's like picking a favorite child, but do either of you have a favorite song that you've written? Oh dear. I hate them all. <laughs> <laughs> I I have one. I don't think it's particularly my best song. Um, but uh, the one that's probably the nearest and dearest to me um, was one that I wrote you know, back, I think I, it was my senior year of high school. And in this theater program, um, we had, uh, there was a big emphasis on uh, writing about social justice and you know using the arts as a, a social impetus for change. Um, and uh, around that time was uh, Sandy Hook. Um, and I wrote a song, sung from the point of view of one of the parents at Sandy Hook. Um, and it was sort of the first time I like really put my writing out there and like really like had people listen to it and felt like I was sort of saying something, um, deeper than, you know, than something that I, I thought was inside of me, you know, Mm. um, that song is called another 15 minutes and it's sort of just about these parents sort of not wanting their children to die in vain and sort of wanting lawmakers and legislators, um, uh, to make an actual change. You know, it, it still reeks of the sound of, uh, of a high schooler writing it, but it's something that's just sort of near and dear to my heart because um, it was the first time I felt like I was saying something with my music. What about you, Rona? All right. It's, it's interesting to think about because you think about, like, the songs of yours that get elicit the most response from people and then the ones that kind of are the, the nearest and dearest, and I had to kind of sort through that for a second. But I would say I wrote a song called Every Time It Ends, so I had two aunts growing up, Aunt Anita and Aunt Eileen, and I didn't realize until I was in high school that they were lesbians. And I was like, oh my gosh, like, <laughs> that's great. Um, anyway, I spent, I loved them so much and I, you know, spent afternoons there after school every day and all that. And, uh, and uh, Aunt Eileen died of breast cancer and then Aunt Anita died a couple years later. And uh, they had been together on and off for 50 years, like mm. a tumultuous oh ride, but uh, just had the, those roots together, and there was so much love that was always there and that they always gave me. So I had written this song kind of as a, as a tribute to them, 
And uh, I performed it at a concert and I didn't tell my family. <laughs> and uh, I think it was the only, I, like, I also don't consider myself much of a singer per se. And I, so I was just me at the piano and I sang this and I started to hear my family sniffling. <laughs> and then I just like lost, I, I lost it. But it's, um, so that song is, is probably, it's very simple. And speaking of Randy Newman, it just kind of, there was something kind of Randy Newman-esque mm. about it to yeah. me. Um, in its in its simplicity and just kind of just like I tried to just shoot that little dart straight to the heart mm. and strip away everything else. So yeah, I like that one. That's beautiful. Oh, thanks. Both songs sound like they come from a really personal place too, which is it always makes the listening experience better once you know the meaning behind a lot of it as well. Yeah. So, what what exactly is that writing process? Is it lyrics first, or do you hear a melody in your head, or maybe there's a special place that you sit down? and have to just shut out the rest of the world to do it. Um, take us take us into that whole experience. I generally go lyrics first, but I am such a rhythmic person that there's always that innate rhythm that's coming out in the lyrics. And then I put the melody to it after. I'm working hard on s- trying to start with melody first. And because I come from, you know, my piano background, a lot of times I will come up with pianistic motif first, and that can lead to disaster. So <laughs> I'm trying to do that less, even though it's, like, really fun. Um, so it's, it's uh, I, I try not to let it be one thing, because then I feel like my writing starts to sound the same, and I always mm. want to, sometimes I'll even pick up an instrument that I don't play well and try something on that to kind of spark something different. Oh, that's fun. Yeah. What about you, Billy? Um, I, I definitely think much in the same way. Um, I, I try to start with lyrics first, but I, I the way my music and lyrics sort of blend together, they're, they're so ingrained with each other that it, they sort of just come at the same time, you know? Um, even if I am writing the lyrics, by the time I'm done with the first verse, I'll probably have mm-hmm. a hook or a melody in my mm-hmm. mind, you know? Yeah. Um, and I try to start with uh, some small sort of outline at the beginning too, just because I think every song should be a three-act play, so I need to know what this first verse is gonna say, what the second verse is gonna say, and then how this person singing it is gonna be different by the end of the song. Um, and then I, I'm definitely influenced by orchestration too, so yeah. much like you, I think knowing, oh, maybe the song starts with like, you know, a, a trombone solo, or maybe the song starts, you know, uh, with, with something on the glockenspiel or something, I think that definitely influences the direction that I'm gonna go in, but, but it, it definitely is all sort of at the same time. You know, so you mentioned it being sort of like a three-act play. Does that change if the song is just a standalone song, sort of like the one for Sandy Hook or for your aunts? Or what about if it's in the context of a larger piece, like a musical or a song cycle? I definitely think, no matter what it is, it it should definitely have a beginning, middle, and end. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, even in the context of a musical, I mean, you think of uh, the great musical theater songs, and although they're in the context of uh, a larger dramatic arc, they are still going from point A to point B. You think of Rose's Turn, or you think of, I don't know, Defying Gravity, or or, or anything. You know, they they always have a beginning, middle, and end. Um, And then I think with a cabaret standalone song, I think, yeah, it's even more important, because all you have is this this song to tell that story. Um, Yeah. So, Billy, you currently have a musical about Star Wars, which um, you composed the music and lyrics for, and it's running at St. Luke's Theater. Mm -hmm. How do you go about working within the parameters of 
more of a parody mm-hmm. style. Sure. Yeah. I mean, well, this the show itself is not uh, specifically a parody. Okay. Um, it's not just uh, the Star Wars movies, you mm-hmm. know, because uh, why would we do Lucasfilm did that better than us, you know? <laughs> um, it's a, It really is a musical about Star Wars, and it's about three super fans who come together um, to make the best Star Wars musical of all time. And... Uh, by the end of it, you know, the show breaks down and they sort of have to grapple with um, sort of the toxic fandoms mm-hmm. and the great parts of the fandoms and, and just sort of every little aspect of this universe that George Lucas created. I, I'm, I'm a writer who is very influenced by genre um, and by homage, um, and that's sort of my favorite thing to write. Um, so I definitely try to use sort of the, the musical um, outline that John Williams um, put forth um, to, to just sort of put these Easter eggs in and, and think about the structure of these songs. Um, and uh, the context of the show is that these two guys wrote it on their Casio keyboard. So, you know, and, and how they have never really seen a musical. So all of the musical theater references are like your very basic, like Wicked's chorus lines and mm-hmm. whatnot. Um, but it's just a lot of pop culture references, which is uh, what I really love. Um, and just as like a, a pop culture gay, that's just like what I grew up, you know, loving Absolutely. to write. Yeah. So I, I definitely think I'm influenced by by homage and parody. Um, and I, I just think that you can, uh, a, a lot of new musical theater writers, I think, tend to forget that the music is as much a part of the characters as the lyrics. Um, and I definitely try to um, add information about these characters through the music or the melody or the genre or what it, what it, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know, um, yeah. Because you also adapted Balloon Boy. Yes. Which is based on that sure, for sure. Yeah. Um, what do you feel is something to be gained from adapting something known mm-hmm. then for the stage? Sure. Well, I mean, I, I definitely think with that one specifically, and that was sort of how I got my start, I think it was such a theatrical and, and larger-than-life story. Um, but at the end of the day, I think there was a lot of human aspects to it, you know, um, and that these were sort of three-dimensional people that were sort of... Uh, vilified by the press which you know probably rightly so but i sort of love finding that like nougaty gooey center of you know bad people um and sort of not while not you know uh, agreeing with them showing them compassion and sort of understanding where they're coming from Mm -hmm. you know um and with that one specifically i mean it was like a modern day gypsy you know and i think it's almost more relevant 10 years later than it was then you know um just sort of uh, the lengths that people will go to for their 15 minutes of fame you know um but yeah i i find a a lot of inspiration um in the headlines and and in current events um just because i think any headline that you can find um can say something larger about society as a whole Um, yeah that's awesome so rona you also do some music direction and conducting such as with a strange loop this this past year yes indeed do you feel like that informs your writing process at all having been on sort of the other side of the baton so to speak that is such a good question Dylan and I would say yes it definitely does so actually I have to be very mindful of what I choose to music direct because I may not want a certain uh I I may not want to be infiltrated uh by certain sounds Mm -hmm. you know what I'm saying so uh I'm very 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 careful with how I pick the projects I music direct. And also because I did not come to New York to be a music director. I came here to be a writer. And so I have to work on that balance. But I also still need to make a living, and I happen mm-hmm. to have this skill. Um, so I have been so lucky that I got to collaborate with Michael R. Jackson because he's one of the smartest writers I know. 
the music was so good and so fun. It's like, I, yes, I want this to feed me. Please feed me. You know, um, so to be under that influence is, uh, was, was amazing. Did you get to see it? I did get to see yeah. it. It was fantastic. Yeah. I hope that many people get to see I it so down too. the line. I hope so, too. So your show, Salam Medina, Tales of a Afghan, is an autobiographical piece. What were some challenges you faced in writing something that's so close to you? And was it difficult composing and sharing something that was more personal than maybe a different type of song? Yeah. Um, I think what remains to still be the tricky part is to um, to share it with my family. Because I am, yes, it's based on my my life experiences um, and what it's like to you know grow up by ethnic in America but I am creating more dramatic characters so and talk about vilifying I certainly don't want to like vilify anybody but then also I need to create some drama so if I suddenly paint one of my parents in this like particular light I get a little nervous that they're going to think that that's what I think of them or something mm. um, and so I, I hate to say that it, it um, I'm still in a place where when I sit down to write, that I'm thinking about that, mm. and I kind of wish that I wasn't. So that's something I'm I'm still grappling with as I am in my rewriting process on it. Well, it's a vulnerable thing. It know? is a very vulnerable thing, and you don't want to hurt people. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to hurt anybody. I right. love my family. Have they given any feedback? On they give a lot of feedback. <laughs> they're they're always the first ones to hear everything. Okay. I always mm. send my family everything I write first because you know, I just wanna, <laughs> is this how bad is this? How you know, like mm. can I share this with the world? Um, so I don't think they've ever taken anything too personally, which is good so far. <laughs> what about you, Billy? No, that's that's very funny. I, I, I definitely am in the same boat because, you know, I, I grew up on Long Island, so they're mm-hmm. close and they come to see basically everything. So I am always very mindful <laughs> of what songs my parents will be hearing, yeah. you know, um, what songs my grandparents will be hearing <laughs> when they come, you know. Um, I try not to let that um, uh, infiltrate my writing too much, but it definitely... Uh, coming from like a big supportive Italian American family, it's mm-hmm. like yes. they're they're gonna be given their feedback and they're gonna be there one way or another. So it's 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 definitely there. Yeah, I think it's really special that you both have such support. Yeah, and can also look to them for true feedback yeah. at the same yeah. time. Yeah. So sort of shifting gears, you're both young, upcoming writers here. Rona, you are a bi-ethnic woman of color in this business. Billy, you're an out gay man. Do you feel like any factors such as that have affected the way that you've navigated this business so far? It's, you know, it's so, it's so hard to actually know because you don't, know, you know, you're only yourself going through and you don't know if you looked differently or were a different person how, how it would go. There's no way to know. Um, I do feel like there is um, a lot of opportunities have come my way of very recently because I am a woman of color. Okay. Um, it's it's very, um, you know, people are, representation is on the forefront of people's minds right now. So I appreciate these kind of new opportunities, but I wonder how long I wasn't getting the opportunities. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I can tell you it's, being in this business is probably really difficult for all of us, um, and it feels like a big struggle all the time. So I, I just, I have no true concept of absolutely of what it, the difference is. You sure. Know? Yeah. I, I definitely think the industry is getting better at sort of expanding um, their horizons and, and the people who 
work in the field. I, it, there's such a long way to go. I think for me, um, it definitely is just sort of about writing my truth um, and uh, writing what would appeal to me as an audience member um, and writing the things that I am passionate about. Um, whether or not, you know, that that does involve my uh, queer identity or not. Um, and uh, just sort of hoping that other people will respond to it, you know, and, and sort of let the writing speak for itself, um, regardless of who I am, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't write for what other people expect <coughs> no. of you. Mm-hmm. You just have to write what, what is your truth. Exactly. exactly. Yeah. Well, I think that the the musical theater world is better for having both of you in it and writing oh, shucks. pieces <laughs> and sharing your heart with the world. So what do you foresee as some of the challenges as just being a writer today, trying to make it? I think there... I just wish that it was an easy or path to make money at it, mm. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. It's just, um, you know, there are other countries that support the arts so much more than we do here, and I think about going to there sometimes, <laughs> <you know? laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, I just, yeah, it's hard. Mm-hmm. There's, because there's really no entry-level position right. as yeah. a writer, you know, you're either, um, you know, uh, working uh on broadway or you're not you know Mm -hmm. um and uh, you know it's i i definitely have to take comfort in reminding myself that it's a marathon you know um and and i like now is definitely the best time to be a writer i will say that you know um just because of the multiple outlets that we have to put our music out there you know um on the internet and you know and uh, places like this um but yeah, I, I definitely wish that there was more money to be made um, at, at an earlier uh, point mm-hmm. um, in our careers. Um, but um, but yeah, just sort of pushing forward and, and just reminding myself that it takes time and, 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 and any job, you know, any, any career takes time. Um, but yeah, this is just sort of a, a wonky random business where <laughs> there's no clear path outlined and you just sort of have to hold on to the hope that, you know, people will listen and people will like your work and, you know, one day people will pay you for it, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Well, I know that a lot of people are excited about this new writer's series and getting to see what you're both going to be bringing to the stage at Fine Science 54 Below. Rona, can you give a little preview of what audiences could expect? It's going to be wild. All right. Uh There will be boomwhackers, and if you don't know what boomwhackers are, <laughs> <laughs> they are these plastic colored tubes that are pitched all differently and they're generally used in schools to teach children uh but i love them so much i um i recruit my friends to do more complicated uh activities with them amazing (laughs) so we'll be doing a few songs with boomwhackers that's so great it's gonna be it's (laughs) gonna be nutty um there will be um I'm like I said before. I'm singing more than ever because I did name the show Rona's Turn, <laughs> which I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, it's great. Uh, <laughs> <It's brilliant. laughs> um, and that scares me. So, uh, but I also love when writers perform their own work because mm-hmm. I think it it's so um, you can understand more what's at the core of it than than any anything else. So uh, I'm putting myself out there. Um, and then I have so many amazing performers. Yes. I have uh, Kuhu Vermina. I have Michael Kilgore. I have Alex Tripp. I have Brennan Caldwell and Liam Ford. Uh, 
whole, whole list bunch. is on our I website mean, yeah, as well. Yeah, and they're just all my friends, and they're all brilliantly talented. I have a full band. I'll be playing other instruments too, which I don't play. So it's going to be, <laughs> it's going to be crazy. It. Yeah. That's going to be exciting. Yeah. And that's on January 9th January at 930. 9th. It's less than a week away. I know. That's very soon. Yeah. And Billy, yours is a little bit later this yes. month on the 23rd. Mm-hmm. What can we expect? Because you've done a few of your sure. snowflake jamborees. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah. This is, so my snowflake jamborees, which we've done uh, three or four of at 54, um, are, it's sort of this large group of, you know, 20 of my friends and eight musician friends of mine, all just sort of having this raucous, you know, anything goes time. Um, this is not going to be that. This is, I definitely wanted to take the opportunity to do something more intimate and a little more personal this time around. Um, so it's a much smaller band. Um, and a lot of it is just going to be me at the piano, um, singing uh, some more personal songs and songs from new projects that I'm working on. Um, and then I'm going to have some special guests come in and sing uh, uh, about half a dozen songs from a new musical I'm working on uh, about the life and times of Heidi Fleiss, who was um, uh, sort of this infamous Hollywood madam uh, in the early 90s. Um, yeah, it, it's it's definitely going to be a lot more intimate, a lot more personal, um, definitely closer to a, a solo show than a jamboree. Um, but I'm really excited That's by fantastic. it. Yeah. And you have some special guests as well. Yes, yeah. We have Paige Turner. Drag um, queen. Yes, love her. Uh, we have Maya Days from Aida and from some, and Rent and some great shows. Um, and then some really fantastic young people. Um, I definitely, m- me being young myself, I definitely really like giving um young people in in my uh, uh, circle the opportunities to you know uh, uh, get stuff out there on their portfolio um, and uh, to just uh, uh, have them sing songs that they otherwise would not be able to sing um, so yeah so it's gonna be really fun great yeah both shows are gonna be fantastic I know it now sort of just to wrap this up looking into the future of your careers as writers is there a song or a show or something that you're working on that gets you excited to sit down and write today and you've got your show about the madam yes yeah i mean that that's definitely a show that i have been more excited than anything um that i've ever worked on honestly um it's it's basically a one-woman show um with uh three backup girls um and i think she's just such a fascinating character because she went from the height of luxury in the 90s and now she lives um in the, the deserts of nevada housing 40 parrots in her home you know um so just sort of uh, 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 that juxtaposition of the highs and lows, I think, is so fascinating, um, and sort of humanizing um, this this sort of '90s icon that was vilified. Um, uh, it's something that really excites me. Um, so yeah, that, and then we're working on a new version of Balloon Boy that I'm really excited by. Um, and uh, my thesis at Fordham, I graduated last year, um, called Dimes, which is a musical loosely based on the kidnapping of a famous crooner, who I won't say um, because these walls have ears. Uh, but it's Frank Sinatra. Um, <laughs> uh, we're working on that, and we're going to be uh, doing a 29-hour reading of that in the spring, Excellent. which I'm really excited by. Yeah. And what about you, Rona? I just have the kernels of an idea that I'm super excited about, and it's going to be about religion, bet- religion through generations of families and how how it gets passed down and how a younger generation diverges from parental expectation. Wow. Um, and so my big plan is that I'm going to interview all sorts of families and talk about faith. 
Is it going to be a documentary piece or? I don't know yet. That's so exciting. I don't know yet. I'm cool. excited about Heidi Flies too. That oh, sounds thank amazing. you, thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thank you both so much for sitting down with me today. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Me. So, Rona Siddiqui will make her Feinstein's 54 Below debut on Thursday, January 9th at 9:30 p.m., which is my birthday. Oh my Happy goodness! Birthday. Oh, thank you. Oh. Rona's turn, and it's your birthday. That's yeah. so exciting. Yeah. Billy Reese will bring his music back to Broadway's living room on Thursday, January 23rd at 9.30 p.m. Tickets for both shows are available at 54below.com. Be sure to follow Rona on Twitter at at Rona Siddiqui and on Instagram at at crazyfingers10. Follow Billy on Twitter at at Billy Reese and on Instagram at at thebillyreese. <laughs> you can follow us everywhere at at 54below. And the Broadway Podcast Network is on Instagram at at Broadway Podcast Network and on Twitter at at B-Way Pod Network. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot org because only together we rise.